Okay. Will you turn uh, to the letter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats is page 816. And again, good morning to you. Good morning to you in Wilmington as well. I want to start this morning with a little bit of a challenging question. On Tuesday, June 6th of this year, a young six-year-old boy by the name of Deshaun Banner was shot three times in the city of Wilmington as he was caught in the crossfire. He and his mother were in their car and were caught in the middle of a drive-by. He was hit twice in the body and once in the head. And last I have heard, he's in critical condition at AI. There are members of our church at both campuses who are not very far away, only about one degree separated from this young man. Uh, Teachers in his school, people who... Uh, know people who live on the block who were witnesses to the aftermath and uh, members of our church at large who have sort of devoted their calling to this very part of the city. And I was visiting with one of these uh, one of these individuals this week and he shared with me that he and his wife were processing uh, what had happened. And in a very heartfelt way, his wife shared, she said something to the effect of, the situation needs Jesus. Well, in his ears, as as I could recollect, that didn't sound like enough was said. Um, Or at least, is that the best answer the church has? You know, here is a, I mean, he's a six-year-old boy who was gunned down in daylight. Does that situation needs Jesus? Does that is that all we need to say? And you could say this about all sorts of things. You could. You could be commiserating alongside of a friend who's observing the end of a marriage. Or um, you could know someone who's no longer able to work because of health reasons. Or suffering the death of a loved one. Or you name it, right? I mean, I don't need to go through the spectrum of bad things that we deal with in life. There is a sense... I think in many of us that at the root of it is Jesus and there may be a sense in many of us that we have to be able to say more than that. So what do we say and where do we get those words? That's our question for today. That's, uh, I believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks very clearly to this issue of... uh, 
What do we have in, in our faith in Christ? So I would like us to start reading uh, the, the beginning of the chapter. We did this last week, but I want to overlap a little bit to uh, for the sort of as we build the, the thought that follows. This is how Paul begins in the second chapter. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony, <clears throat> did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, I didn't come with charisma. I didn't come with eloquence. I didn't come with a secret word. I didn't come with a hidden meaning. I did not come with a difficult concept. I came with a very basic concept that, by the way, is universally receivable. It can be understood by all people. Jesus Christ crucified, which is Paul's shorthand for the basic message of Jesus, right? The tragic lostness of mankind through sin and the hope that they find in the loving sacrifice of Christ for the payment of that penalty, his union with God, his perfect obedience, and our hope that comes through that, those things, the cross of Christ. It's not a difficult message. And he says, not only did I come pretty much speaking a simple word, but I... I didn't allow myself to get in the way. In other words, the message of Christ does not depend on the giftedness of the messenger. He came in weakness. God doesn't depend on the giftedness of the messengers. He cares about the faithfulness of the messengers. Just say it. And Paul says, and the power of God, not the eloquence of man, is what bolstered it and confirmed it. You should be able to say this of yourself, I think, that if you are in Christ Jesus, that the Lord has come behind his word and confirmed it in your life. At some point, you step out in faith and you make a decision. And at some point, you find yourself, you find your belief anchored in not the knowledge of the cross, but the relationship with God. Not just the knowledge of the cross, but the confirmed power of God in your life. I think that is a reasonable expectation for followers of Jesus. That's what Paul says. The message wasn't that complex. The messenger was not that gifted. It was the message itself and the power of God. So 
So, is Christ crucified the answer to everything then? That's what Paul preached. When I was in vacation Bible school as a kid, you pretty much knew if there was a question from the teacher, the answer was Jesus, the Bible, or God, right? Is that, is that how life is? Jesus, the Bible, or God? Is the rhythm of our faith a constant and never-ending repetition of the same old story? Is our response to the kind of violence that took place in the city, I don't know if I can say it this way, but simply Jesus. Well, for now, just for now, I'm going to say no. For now. Let's look. Look at the very next verse. Just let's focus on one verse for a second. Paul says in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Paul is saying, actually, there is a wisdom for those who are building their life on Christ that extends. Uh, There is a fairly significant wisdom about the depths of God that extends upon the maturing of a person's faith. Now, he's responding, by the way, to a fellowship, to a fellowship who got their start in Jesus. They heard the message of the cross, but then their interests were in other things, and they wanted wisdom. They wanted, you know, you might say this, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but what do I do with parenting? Or, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but... What about marriage? Or what about work? Or what about that sort of... And there was this attraction of them away from Christ to other messages of wisdom. That's sort of what he's battling right now in the church is their dissatisfaction with the same old story and their inclination to be like, well, there's got to be more somewhere else. And Paul is saying, well, there is more. (laughs) There is other wisdom for those who are mature in Christ. And the wisdom that is available from God, the wisdom that comes from God, is far superior to the wisdom of this age. When I say wisdom, I mean right thinking, a sense of discernment, of understanding, the ability to judge the world rightly, to look out, at the things around you and make godly sense of them. That's what I mean by wisdom. To see the heart of the matter. Paul says, for those of you who are mature in the Lord, (laughs) there's oceans of wisdom waiting. Not the fleeting, passing, earthly, pragmatic wisdom but rich, eternal, deep, transcendent wisdom. 
not the wisdom you get from being on the job a long time. Not wise to the industry wisdom. Eternal, rich, and deep wisdom. Let me just assume for a second that you're a really smart person, you're really smart with people too. You got an IQ and an EQ way up there, right? You're an impressive human being. And you've been on the job for a while, you've worked the job, you know the job, so you know people, you know the job, you've got it figured out, right? That usually is the recipe for the wisdom of the world. Figure people out, figure your context out, go, right? You might be able to take the room where you need it, right? You're, You're all that. That is not what Paul is talking about. The ability to influence the things of humanity don't really, don't necessarily have anything to do with the eternality of it all. Like your ability to get something done doesn't mean that you've necessarily done it in God's way or done it with an eternal sense in mind. Paul's saying there is a higher wisdom that comes to those who are maturing in the faith. And he explains it a little bit here. Look at 7 through the beginning of 10. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. There is a wisdom available, and it is eternally anticipated for our glory. That's what it says, verse 7. God decreed it before the ages for our glory. To, to, to be decreed before the ages means it's not consequently derived. You know how you and I learn lessons sometimes the hard way? Don't put your hand on the stove. Why? Psst. I know why. I'm now wiser, right? God's wisdom was decreed before the oven. God's wisdom was decreed before heat. God's wisdom was decreed before the age. It's transcendent. It's not learned by consequence of experience. It's not kind of the kind of stuff that has to be learned by being boiled over and, and, you know, one thing leads to another. No, he's saying the wisdom that God has to offer is transcendent truth by which, you might even say, the truth by which everything that has been made was made. It preexisted the age. And God has it waiting for you. That's what he's saying. It was decreed before this age for our glory. Paul's saying to those of you who are maturing in Jesus Christ, there is more to say. There's a lot more to say. There is so much to say that the world 
in its capacity, cannot even fully grasp. And God wants you to have it. Through his Holy Spirit. I think of the difference. The difference between the wisdom that comes from God and the wisdom that's sort of learned. <clears throat> learned wisdom is, helps you survive, but it may not lead to flourishing life. I'll give you examples. A young child who's abused by someone in authority, family member, that person may go on to mature with this sort of learned wisdom. Never trust somebody again. You can see how they might have learned that. And they learn it deep. That is wisdom for them. That's not God's wisdom. That's just, that's wisdom that's come through the experiences of life. It's not transcendent. I was once in a restaurant. I was, I was near the checkout line, and in front of me was um, several ladies. I think they were like doing a birthday party or something. I mean, they were they were at the register, and they were they were talking, and I was eavesdropping because that's what I do. <clears throat> and they were commiserating with one of the ladies because she, her husband was leaving her. And so there was commiseration. But as the more I listened, I realized all that was the only lady of the four or five that had not yet been divorced. She was now entering into their club. And this was the wisdom that was passed. I heard it, and it was well-intentioned. One lady said to her, everyone needs a practice marriage. It was wisdom. It was intended to be so. That is the wisdom of the world. There are things, little trick, I, I want to demean it for a second. I'm going to demean our wisdom just so we can grasp it. Our wisdom by ourselves are tricks of the trade to help us along. They amount, when compared to the transcendent, unalterable, before the age of the world wisdom of God, they, compare, they, they are essentially tips, guidelines, gotchas. Paul's saying, you're looking for wisdom. <laughs> if you would just mature in Christ a bit, it would open up the doors to a whole lot of wisdom and insight that God has prepared from before the age for your glory. And it comes through the Spirit. God has deep wisdom waiting for you in his Spirit, the gift of his Spirit to you, to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Let's read a few more verses. I'm going to pick up in 10 and just read 10 through 12. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. This passage is marvelous and unsettling for me. It's exposing, it's discomforting, and it is fabulous. Paul gives us an illustration. He says, God's given you the spirit. And I can almost imagine him imagining the audience going, harumph, like big whoop. So he decides, I'm going to describe it. He says, now listen, none of you, no one knows what's on the other side of someone's eyeballs except that person themselves, right? I don't know what you're thinking, and you, well, you kind of know what I'm thinking because I'm talking, but I don't know what you're thinking. Only your spirit knows what you're thinking. Only you know the depths of you. That's, he says that, okay? He says, the same is true about God. Who can know, who can really know the depths of God but the spirit of God? I mean, God is pretty vast and big and deep and wide. I mean, we could, how, how big is the Lord? He's saying no one could really know the Lord except for the spirit of the Lord, which he's given you. That's what Paul's saying. The spirit of God, which understands God's inner being, which fully comprehends all of who God is, has been given to you. That's what he's saying. You want to know the depths of God? God wants you to know the depths of God. And so he's given you his spirit. I would, this one of the reasons I find this so uncomfortable is I would never give anyone my spirit. As much shame and secret is still inside me. I mean, would any of us would any of us lay ourselves out for all to see? God has for us. And I think about that. I think, and you might say, well, God knows what's in me. Yeah, but God loves me, so God can look in me, right? He rescued me. He saved me. I still hide pieces from him in vain. But God, I mean, the fact that I can't even imagine, like, it, it almost jars my consciousness for the Lord to say, I've laid my whole spirit out for you. It jars me, because I'm like, I would never do that. But God is so pure. This is just, you know, when we're coming out of darkness and in the light, things in the light have nothing to hide. God has nothing to hide from you. You could travel all day in the land of God over the fields and hills and meadows and springs and brooks. You could look everywhere and find nothing but good truth. He says, I did that for you. I have fully exposed myself to you. I haven't given you a proverb that gives you wisdom. I have exposed myself to you. I mean, it's the second part of this, right? 
what Paul's saying is not that not that we are given wisdom. I know in the Bible we pray for wisdom, that God would give us wisdom, but Paul's explaining how this happens. How does wisdom come to us? It doesn't come to us like you put a quarter in a machine and hit the right code and a hermetically sealed package of wisdom comes out and you break the seal and use it. You don't ask, you don't get a nugget of wisdom like that. What God's saying is, is actually, I give you my spirit and my spirit makes you wise. I commune with you and I invite you into me and when you come out, you're, you're wiser. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not a list, I'm not a chicken soup for the soul book in someone's bathroom that's waiting for you to read page 12 to solve a problem. I'm a person of inestimable depth and I'm sharing it with you. It's why you can see that you would have to be mature in Christ to partake of this because the immature don't spend time with Christ. The immature don't spend, they don't wander the fields of God learning about him. They live life until they have a problem and then they want the answer. And it's just not that way. You might say it this way, as far as for those who are mature in the Lord, there is a wisdom. For those who walk hand in hand with God often. They know what to do. Because they're always talking to him. Isn't that what a disciple does? Here's a third thing. It's in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So we've received his spirit, and through receiving his spirit, we can behold his personhood. And in beholding his personhood, we can what? We can finally understand things that have already been freely given to you and me that we don't even know we have. That's what it says. God has freely given us things. The presumption should be we don't understand them because through the Spirit we can. So you and I, all of us, have from God free things. I don't know what to call those. Gifts, qualities, callings, attributes, characteristics. You don't even know... You don't know yourself without, truly know yourself without finding yourself through God. God has given you things that you don't understand about yourself and he desires for your glory, for our glory to reveal them to us so that we can make sense of them. And this is why as a person grows in Christ and they get more humble, they, they gain a greater sense of self-value at the same time. Right? As one realizes all that God's done for them, they gain a holy sense of humility. They no longer boast except for boasting the Lord. But as they learn of all of God's done for them, they learn the worth that God places on them. 
They learn they are, in fact, fearfully and wonderfully made. They learn that God has given them things that make them matter to the body and to the fellowship and to his kingdom. They realize that God really has made all of himself available for them. And in that, they grow in value. They grow priceless in value as they grow more humble. Isn't that beautiful? This is what God has for us. My school that I graduated, my high school I graduated from had a motto. I love the motto. No talent lies latent. No, this is God. There are things that he has built into you that you don't understand and he wants you to know him so that you can know yourself and be that. Not just for yourself, but for the glory of God. Paul, do I have... I, mean, I feel like Paul felt this way. Paul speaks of a thorn in his side in 2 Corinthians. This, this curse, this affliction that he had, this thing that he would, he kind of, and he went to the Lord time and time again. Will you remove this? Three times he said, I pray to the Lord that he would remove from me this thorn in my side. When at last the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. My power is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, I've given this to you. Uh, Paul doesn't end the Second Corinthians complaining. Paul finds in it glory. Ah, now I understand. In the wisdom of God, now I understand why he has dealt with me thus. God is saying he has dealt with you thusly that you don't understand, but he wants to reveal it to you in time. That question you have, my sense is, God longs for you to be ready for the answer. And this takes us somewhere. Look at 13. He says, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to to those who are spiritual. He says, spirit people speak spirit words which are carried by the spirit and placed inside of spiritual people. Because it's an activity that's happening inside of the spirit of God. You did not get it out of a vending machine. You don't get a nugget of wisdom. I mean, oh, that person... I'm sure some of you have seen this. You have this thing that you know is so wise and then you take it to someone who's not ready for it. You know, try this. You, you know, like, a, like, like a foodie who made this delicious meal and you go to someone who grew up at McDonald's, try this. And you stand back with pride and they're like, I'm not touching it. It's green. It's green on it. What's the green? You're like, it's a fresh vegetable. Who eats, cows eat vegetables. they're not ready for it. That's what he's saying. He's saying the things of the Spirit are given through people by the Spirit, carried and imparted by the Spirit into people who are spiritual, and that's how it works. In fact, 14 sort of says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I'll say, now in my ministry, I have seen so many occasions, and I'm not, I'm not always saying it's been by me, but sometimes I've just been present. Sometimes it's been me. So many occasions where 
the pure spiritual wisdom of God was unreceivable. So it was like banging against a brick wall. Because I wasn't ready or someone else wasn't ready. I mean, the perfect right answer had nowhere to go. My general experience in counseling, when I was very young in ministry, my concern was, how can I counsel? I don't know anything. You know, I only had little kids. I hadn't been married that long. And I didn't know anything. Dear God, what do I... Now, it's not so much... How much I learn is almost irrelevant. My sense is more now in counseling that the, the things people need help with usually are not that complicated. The question is, can they hear them? Is the person ready to receive the truth? The truth is, rarely is it very far away from the cross of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, compassion, love, grace, it's, is the person in the spirit or are they natural? The natural person cannot discern the spiritual things. In 15, the spiritual person, however, judges all things, but is himself not <clears throat> to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. He's saying the spiritual person, not in a lofty, ordained sort of way, but the spiritual person begins to rise above the judgmentalism of our time. Okay, think of the ministry of Christ. He who was spiritual and wise, the world was looking at him going, he's doing something wrong. He's not what we wanted, right? So he's losing He's losing the argument and the world's wisdom even though he himself remains entirely unscathed by their judgment. This is, that's what Paul's saying of a wise person in the Lord. As a person grows wiser, they'll gain a more pure sense of what's right and wrong and how to apply these things and they will begin to look different than the world from which they came And he says, and and that world, it may judge them, but the judgments don't matter. And incidentally, the person who's wise in God gains the ability to make right judgments. What do you call it? You know, we don't like to use the word judgmentalism. We all want to say we're not judgmental. What do you call it when you're able to discern the truth of the matter from the falsehood of the matter? Whatever that is, that's what you can do we call it judging rightly. That's the word. That's what you're given. And he ends with this phrase, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, this is a brief aside, but but I wouldn't want to do it. In the first week of our, of our, of our messages, 1 Corinthians 1 through, we did 1 through 16. In the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians, the phrase Lord Jesus Christ shows up 10 times. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. It's very Christocentric. Then from verse 17 to the end of chapter 1, for the remaining verses, about as many verses, the word God shows up about 14 times. No more Jesus Christ so much. The attention of Paul is on God. About 14 times it shows up. And then in chapter 2, for about these first 16 verses that we read today, the word spirit or the concept of the spirit, spirit, spiritual, Holy Spirit, that phrase has shown up like 10 or 12 times. I mean, on the whole, and we're going slowly, so we don't get to see some of the eloquence of it all, but on the whole, these first argument is wonderfully Trinitarian. It's very triune. God starts with the work of the, uh, I mean, Paul starts with the work of Jesus Christ, and then he puts it into the plan and power of God, and now he's talking about the wisdom that comes through the Spirit. And at the end of it all, he brings us right back to the mind of Christ but we have the mind of Christ. Who can understand the spirit of the Lord except, who can understand the Lord except for the spirit of the Lord? And we have the spirit of the Lord because we have the mind of Christ. You see how wonderfully triune that is. We're back to where we started, and I think we're sort of back to the original problem. What is the Christian response to a six-year-old boy who's shot? What's our response to the family? Paul might, I think Paul would say there is a wisdom for the mature in Christ. There is a way of understanding how God is viewing the matter right now. There's a deep way of appreciating the issues based upon where you're standing and how close you are and what your role is and, and, and how God may have crossed your path and what he's put on you. Paul is saying, for those who are mature in Christ, oh, there's so much more. There's so much more than just the word Jesus. But it's built on Jesus. It's not like it's so much more, it's elsewhere. It's built on top of the same story. It doesn't, the wisdom of God is never trying to advance beyond the cross. God is not himself bored in what Jesus did. And he's not trying to say, okay, now that you have Jesus' 101, and when you're ready, when you're really ready, we'll give you a 201, which is real wisdom when you can mature past Jesus. That's not it. In fact, in the third chapter, he's going to say in verse 10, according to the grace that God's given me, I, like a skilled master builder, laid the foundation. Speaking of Christ, I've laid the foundation to the building. What do you do in the building? You build up from the foundation. So all of the maturing wisdom that comes from God ultimately is being built upon the first thing, which is Christ crucified. Yes, the world needs Jesus. <laughs> and yes, there's a wise way of speaking. Do you think that Christ, who was betrayed 
and sentenced to death and was hung on a tree in place of a known murderer between two known criminals. Do you think he has something to say to the family of this young boy? Do you think he knows their pain? Do you think that if we truly had the mind of Christ, that the cross would not be at the center of that? There's a sense, I think, in people that they want to move beyond the story. Yeah, 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 I got the cross. What about my marriage? I got the cross, but I'm working on parenting. As though there's this subject, which is Jesus, and over here is this subject. No, it's built, the floors of the temple built on the foundation, which is Christ. Which means everything you learn places more weight on the cross. Think of the wisest Christians you know, the wisest people in God that you can think of. Do you, are they people who have outgrown the cross of Christ? Are, are they people who have been marinated in the work of Christ? I'll close with this. Here's a, I'm trying to be practical these days. What do we do? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you if you were, wanted to make a commitment would be Commit yourself to building on the, the story of the cross, not building elsewhere, would be my thought. <clears throat> Here's some ways to think about that. How do you typically view the Bible? How much do you receive the Bible? Uh, because it is the written wisdom of God. So if you're looking for the wisdom of God, how do we respond? And yet, you're not a real friend of the book. I would say, it'll be hard for you to explain your maturity before the Lord one day. Because they would say, I gave you my spirit and my revealed word. I mean, this is the word of the spirit. This is for us. So I want to challenge you in the way you view scripture, in the way you, you engage with it. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to challenge you with is to hold into suspicion. I want to encourage you to hold into suspicion the wisdom of the world that you've come to accept that's become useful for you in your place of, of work or meeting or life. The way, the way that you've learned to win the room or to advance the idea or to make it happen, whatever it is you do, I would say I want to encourage you to step back from all of that wisdom and look at it. I'm not saying it needs to be thrown in the trash can. I have no, I have no opinion about it, except to say that I know there is a wisdom of God that is above it. And I think we would, we would gain by inviting God into that discourse. And finally, <clears throat> I would challenge you to think of the voices you listen to in life, <clears throat> particularly on the social issues. This is the easiest, easiest place for, to challenge you. Just pick a subject like immigration. If there's a channel that you can tune to where you're like, yep, that's, that's my position. 
my hunch is God hasn't spoken into the subject for you very much. That you are subject to the wisdom of the world. I mean, unless it's the God channel. If you go home and watch the God channel all the time, I don't know what channel that is. I don't get it, okay? But if you're watching all of those four little letter acronym channels where people never stop talking and have constant outrage, and you're like, yeah, that's my opinion, I can just about assure you it's not God's opinion. Because it's pure wisdom of the world. And so I just, I want to, I want to make you uncomfortable with the voices, make you more discerning about the voices you're inviting into, because God does have something to say about these things, and they're not saying it. We are called to be wise in God. May we have the mind of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, may we be faithful in the way we pursue you. May the work of Christ, I pray this in the name of Jesus, may the work of Christ not grow dull to us, but rather may us, as we mature in you, Lord, see the weight it's truly bearing as it is such a firm foundation to our faith. Lord, we lift up people, uh, followers of Jesus in many difficult places where they are in constant need of the wisdom which comes from the Spirit to know what's the next step to take, Lord. Help them. Lord, and to individuals and families that are in easy places, may we not grow so relaxed with the wise-sounding counsel of mankind. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.